Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and welcome to this podcast short from our signature show, Your Backstage Pass, featuring a special vignette from another great episode. I'll tell you an interesting story. Sorry. Sure. I, you Please. know. That's, what, that's why we're here. And I, you know, and I don't, I'm not blaming anyone per se, but I got off Attic Records in, ni- in 1992, but I'll tell you what sent me over the edge. You know, that we, um, after all of the work that I felt that I'd done to legitimize myself as a song, like on the Some Girls Do, when that single came out, there were some industry people that actually called my manager and said, wow, Fantech, great, congratulations on Lee's new hit, blah, 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 because it went into heavy rotation once again on, on Much Music. Who wrote the hit for her? And I was like, Ah, I wrote it. Oops. Oh my gosh. Why am I still being treated? Like I don't have talent here. It was so infuriating for me. And um, anyway, we had written, I'd written a song called Sex with Love. And the song, the, the inspiration behind that song was old fashioned values, morality. If you're going to be intimate with someone, it's a great idea if you actually care about them, right? Sex with love. That's a great and, song. Right. Yeah. It was a fun song. But I said to the label, please do not release this as a single because I really think that the media will probably have a heyday with it. They won't get it. They'll just see the word sex and run with that. Right. Well, did I get li- I did not get listened to. It ended up being a single. So I had lots of explaining to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. And um, without my knowledge, and it wasn't Almer. Almer, I love, I love the man to this day, Almer from um, Attic Records, the VP there. It was someone beneath Almer in the marketing department made a decision. They took out an ad. Do you remember a publication called The Record? Yes, of course. Okay. So it was like, it was Canada's billboard. It was the publication. And it was the picture from the Some Girls Do album cover. And it was a big ad and it said... Here's sex on the radio. <laughs> and it listed all of the stations playing the new single. It said, see sex on TV. And it listed all of the, I'm getting emotional <laughs> even talking about this. It listed all of this, like rock, good rockin' tonight at West and much music and all of the video stations that had gone on the single. And then the last, it said, see sex on tour. And it listed all my tour days. Oh man. I lost oh. my mind. Oh my God. Well, David Farrell from the, who was the editor in chief at that time, phoned my manager and he said, have you seen this? Lee is going to go crazy. And he was right, I did. So it was the left hand not talking to the right hand. Someone made an executive decision. They didn't pass it by me for approval. I would have never approved an ad like that. I felt like it unraveled everything I had worked so hard for in my career. It, it, it was a super big button for me, I have to say. And at that point, we just we went into talks about me leaving the label and moving in a different direction. I just felt like, anyway, I don't want to go on. But uh, anyway, that was the beginning of me making some changes. I started my own label. I put out Emotional Rain in 1994 which was well-received critically, but it didn't sell nearly the albums that I had sold in the past because the whole landscape of music 
grunge had happened and the whole landscape had changed. And not to mention the machine behind it too. Right. Well, exactly. Um, mm. And then I ended up um, on Emotional Rain. I hired Don Bins and Don Short from a band called the Sons of Freedom because uh -huh. I loved them. Yeah. I thought they were the most fantastic grunge band from the West Coast. I wanted them on my album because I, I was only 29 years old at that time. And I thought, I'm just going to keep, I, I didn't realize that my big heyday was over. I was like, I'm just going to keep making rock and roll records and I'm just going to adopt part of this into my new sound because I loved grunge music. I loved Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And I thought, wow, what a great direction. Corporate rock was getting really crappy anyway. So this is a wonderful change. And that's when I made the Emotional Rain record, again, with the rhythm section from Sons of Freedom. And then I, I brought Reeves Gabrels from David Bowie's Tin Machine and, um, uh, sorry, Knox Chandler, who had played in the Psychedelic Furs. I brought them up because this is right around the time when John Albany decided he didn't get it anymore and he wanted to make do the studio and move to Nashville. So I brought these, these like infamous, you know, new music players up to work on my album. And I mean, I'm really proud of that record. I think it sounded great, mm. but it didn't sell. It didn't sell the way that my previous albums had. And it, if you can hear that wolf, that's my dog wanting <laughs> yeah. to get me. What, what kind of dog? <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? I have a golden retriever and a cavalier. One sec. I'll let oh, lovely. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Anyway, and um, at that time, when I worked on that album, I forged quite a friendship with Don Bins and Don Short. And they said to me, if you ever want to make a completely different kind of record, come to the West Coast and make an album with us. We would love it. They, we all loved working together. So um, that's what I did. And I, you know, then just everything kind of fell apart. My manager, when he saw that my albums were selling, you know, 40,000 copies, not, which would be great today, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not 200,000 copies. He just made an executive decision to take, he took a job. My manager took a job working for um, uh, Koch International uh, out of the, the United States. He became their foreign licensing rep and he just didn't want to be a manager anymore. So I, suddenly found myself in this situation where I didn't really have a manager and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I just sold everything and I moved to the West Coast and I made an album uh, written off the floor with the guys in the Sons of Freedom. And it's, that was, that we didn't call that album Learen because I realized that being Learen was the kiss of death with the Re industry really? at the time. Is that how you felt that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, so... Are you guys actually interested in this? I could go on. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think this is. I think this is quite good conversation. Well, so I made this album. I'm still proud of this album. I think it was artistically a fantastic record. I think it did some of my coolest writing on it. It was a grunge record. It was a grunge rock record, and we <clears throat> did this album, and um, we called it Too Precious. And I didn't use the name Learen. I called myself Karen. Right. And um, it was a band effort and we hired, we got, um, actually my manager hadn't quite left at that point. We ended up with new distribution out of Toronto, which looked really promising. And I hired a big promotional rep from Toronto named Bobby Gale. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I know Bobby Gale. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, he passed away in a tragic accident about a year ago, but I don't know if you know. Oh, him. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, he was oh. hit by a truck on the highway. Oh my God. 
money ran out of gas. It's, it was an awful story, but I don't want to go there. But anyway, so we hired Bobby Gale. He was a very notable rep. He took the songs into the biggest alternative station in Toronto called CFNY. And he played it for them. He wouldn't tell them who it was, but he said it was a Canadian supergroup. They were so excited about the music. They were, they were ready to go on the first single. And they kept saying, who is it? They were guessing, is it Juliana Hatfield is the singer or who, you know, they were guessing who it was. He didn't want to do the big reveal. He wanted a commitment from them first. Right. So we were excited. We were like, this is going to happen when the, when they found out, he eventually had to break down and tell them it was, he said, it's Lee Aaron, who's the singer. They, they pulled it. They oh, for God's sake. Of perception. It was perception. Lee Aaron was part of the old guard and I was not part of the new guard. So that was really disheartening. It was really, really disheartening for me. Uh. And um, then, yeah. So that's how I ended up coming to the West Coast and I ended up making this record with them. We did a couple of showcases in the Vancouver area, which were extremely well attended because those guys had such a rep out here. Um, but yeah, the entire thing ended up dissolving. And, um, you know, at that point in time, uh, then my manager really did move to <laughs> New York. And I ended up, I showed up one day at my place in Vancouver and I had all these banker boxes on my doorstep and I was like, great. I'm like, a half a million dollars in debt. What, what is my plan? <laughs> mm. And that's why. Uh, I mean. So how'd you dig out of that one? Well, well, you, you, well you, you, you say you, you went for bankruptcy. I guess that's. Well, my, I had, you know, I was, I was pretty depressed, honestly, at that time, it was a pretty dark period in my, my life and my career. And I, um, you know, I had lots of conversations with my, my mother and father at that time. And, my mom's an accountant and she said, look, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to spend the next, you know, the next decade of your career digging yourself out of this black hole of debt. That's not exactly inspiring or motivated to create music for, right? Mm -hmm. Or she says, you can just go bankrupt and start all over again. You can do it. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so it was really my mom, again, who was an accountant that said, Go bankrupt. It's, it you know seems what? like a, it seems like an obvious option, and in, in, in retrospect, it seems like an obvious thing to do. It really does. It was the best thing I ever did. Honestly, yeah. it was so nice to start with a clean slate, and yeah. then that's when I took a year off to lick my wounds, and no, I didn't really play at all. And when I came back, I was like, I'm not getting on to the the pop culture horse again. Thank you very much, and that's why I started singing jazz. Hey, thanks for joining us. Check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders. And please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing. Available both on podcast and video on demand. <laughs>